Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. God is good. For endless days we will sing his praise. Our Lord, our Lord, our God. I just want to celebrate a few people before we... Just notice the lights going up. Notice that? Feel that, everyone? That's because Elizabeth, one of our 16-year-old teenagers, along with some of our other teenagers, Hannah, a first time playing piano here for the whole service. Hannah did that today. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isla's up there singing. My daughter Amy's out there helping lead the, the children as well. And, and Elizabeth, first, second time helping run our lights and getting involved on our lights. Isn't that fantastic? I'm just so excited to see young people serving the Lord. And uh, we want to see more and more of that. And so praise God for that. And, uh, you know, this morning I was going to be off doing a, a half marathon. I decided not to. I was going to do the jetty to jetty. Been training hard for it. But I decided by the time I got back here, for church, because it started at six this morning, I probably would have got up and collapsed on stage for, in front of you all. So I thought, no, well, we won't do that. We'll get up and we'll focus all the energy that I had for the marathon, half marathon, and we'll put it into the preaching. Does that sound good? All right. So we're going to have a powerful morning this morning, and uh, we're going to start a new series today. We're going to start a new series for the start of a new term, and it's term three at school, and we always like to line things up with our term. And we're going to start a series called All In. Everyone say, All In. That's the kind of half marathon energy. I like that, church. Yes. All In. The life of a steward. The life of a steward. So we're going to focus these next four or five weeks on what that really means. And I think it's going to be challenging. I think it's going to be a series that will be quite challenging for our personal growth. I know it's challenging for me as I think about this topic. And I want to start this by giving you a few things to think about that we're going to memorize over the next five, four or five weeks as we do this series, okay? We're going to memorize three things. The first thing we're going to memorize is a short phrase, God owns it all. Can you all say that with me? God owns it all. That's the first thing we memorize. I think we can do that one. The second one is a scripture, and it's First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. And it says, everything in heaven and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you. Oh, actually, I know a different version. Let's read it together, this one that's on the screen. Everything in heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honour come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it's at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. And then thirdly, there's three words for us to remember here. Master, steward, and faithful. They're the three things I want us to focus on over these next five weeks. Does that sound okay? God owns it all. Memorize that scripture, 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. And then these three key words, master, steward, faithful. Okay. Let me ask you a quick question. Is anyone here a financial planner? Okay. Anybody? Oh, yes, we've got a financial planner. Wonderful. Anyone here go to a financial planner? 
Yeah, good. I go to a financial planner too, and it's a good thing to do. But who do you think is the greatest financial planner for you today? God. God is. When we go to financial planners, we're asking them for guidance, we're asking them for wisdom, we're asking them for how we should manage money and how we should save and spend and invest and and give. And that's great. But today and over these next few weeks, we're going to have a look at the master financial planner and what he has to say about how we should save and and plan for our around our finances and get his guidance and his wisdom on that. And uh, did you know that there's two economies that are going on in the world right now? There's God's economy and there's the world's economy and they're starkly different things. God's economy and the world's economy. And the problem is that we face in the world's economy, it's in a really sharp contrast to God's economy. Because in God's economy, God is central. But the problem with our money as Christians is sometimes we separate our finances away from, um, separate God out of our finances. And we say, well, that's my department. I don't need to get God involved on the spiritual side of my life. That's a separate part of my life. I'll sort that part out. That's not my spiritual life. I'll work that out and I'll get advice from someone else around that part of my life. God, you just stay out of that part of my life, all right? The problem with the worldly approach is it's a completely different worldview in the way that we look at the stuff that we have in our life as to having a biblical worldview. And in the, in the worldview of the world's approach... I'm saying that my money is mine. I'm saying that everything I have is mine. All of my possessions is mine. But when we take a biblical worldview as Christians, it's not mine. It's all God's. And I'm a steward of everything he's entrusted to me, and he is my master. And all I need to do is be faithful with what he's entrusted to me of his stuff. It's a completely different worldview. Now, I came into the world with nothing, And I'm going to leave this world with nothing. But while I'm here, God is loaning me a lot of stuff. And it's up to me as a steward to look after it and treat it well. And as a Christian, there's really no option for me in this area. I either go with God's economy or I live with the world's economy. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful this says to me that how we handle our money and how we handle possessions and the stuff that god has entrusted to us like our time and our talents and everything of who we are the whole of life our bodies everything that we are to be faithful with those things because we are steward of what of god's stuff the bible says in luke 16 11, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And in this, Jesus is equating worldly wealth with the true riches of heaven, which is saying that there's a spiritual dimension to worldly wealth. There's a connection. If we're unfaithful with it, it's going to affect our spiritual lives. When you really think about that, it's challenging because that means every single financial decision that I make around finances and the stuff of possessions that I have, every single financial decision, if it's not mine, I have to think about that because that means every spending decision, every saving decision, every investing decision, every giving decision, it's actually a spiritual decision. Every single decision. Why is that? Because it's not mine. 
It's God's. It's actually not mine. And the decision I make with it is going to affect my spiritual life. So instead of going to a financial planner first, of course, we still need to do that at times. We need to not only get worldly advice, we need to get God's advice on this. And the Bible has so much wisdom to give us on biblical financial stewardship. In fact, the Bible has over 2,350 verses on how we should go about handling finances and possessions. It's talked about more than any other topic Jesus spoke about this. More than prayer, more than all these other topics, he spoke about that. Jesus knew that this would impact us. He knew it would impact our relationship with God. He knew that money would compete for mastery of our lives and money can even become an idol in our lives. Jesus knew that. He knew that because he knew that our lives would revolve around money. He knew that we would have to spend a lot of time earning money, thinking about how we're going to save money and spend money and what we should give money to. Jesus knew that so much of our life would be revolving around money. So he spoke about money and possessions a lot. We have to ask ourselves some core belief questions today around this, that if I'm willing to trust God with my eternal soul, I'm willing to trust God with the most important part of me as a Christian, my soul, for all eternity, then why aren't I willing to trust him with money that he's given me or trusting me with? Why aren't I willing to take his advice in this area and continue on learning and growing and how to handle money from God's perspective? You know that God has more than 250 names in scriptures. And I think the greatest name that we could give God around this area of money and finances is the name Master. Master. Why is that? Because God owns it all. He is the Master. He is our Lord. He's our leader. He's our Master. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 10, 14, Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to you, Lord, our God. When you acknowledge God's ownership of everything, you're calling him your master. That makes sense, doesn't it? And then every financial decision immediately becomes a decision that I ask the master about because I know it will affect my spiritual life. It's a spiritual decision. Will I follow God's leading? Will I follow God's wisdom? Will I follow God's word on this? Or will I follow the world's view, the world's way? the world's economy on this. Will I follow it? You know, the Bible says in Luke 14, 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. We're to give up claim of ownership of everything. You and I don't own anything. It's all God's. When I first learned this, I was 23 years old. And I remember as a symbolic thing it was at the time, writing out a deed of ownership and I wrote down everything. I didn't have that much back then to, to write on there, but I wrote down everything on my possessions. I wrote down my finances. I wrote down everything about my body and everything of who I am. I wrote it all on this deed of ownership, and I signed it over to God symbolically, and I still remember doing that. That was a long time ago. Because I was signing over ownership to God as my master, that I would give up my rights of ownership over all things, including finances and possessions, and time and talents and all those things and make him my Lord and my God. 
Sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I don't get that right. Sometimes I remember and I take things back. I know I'm just like all of, all of us, we, we hold on to things tightly. But I keep coming back to that and I keep remembering that God will test me. He tests my heart in this area because he wants me to keep relinquishing. He wants me to keep surrendering to him, to be filled by him. That's often our bank accounts, often our money. I remember struggling to give at times and I remember feeling that when you go to reach for your wallet to give and there's this string connected from your wallet to your heart and you pull on it and it pulls on your heart. It's hard, right? I thought I was going to have a heart attack and pull on my wallet because it's hurting. But over time and as you learn and grow in, in learning how to be generous in giving, and I'm not just talking about giving in church, I'm talking about giving to God and giving in life, being a generous person. I think that it starts to get easier. You say, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? The reason it hurts so much is when I start thinking of it as my money. It's not mine, it's God's. And so I say, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money today? And it's easy to believe that intellectually that I'm going to do that, but it's hard sometimes in our hearts to do that. It's hard to live that way. But I have to remember it's hard because everything in, in, our, in our flesh wants to hold on to everything. And everything in our world is opposing what I'm talking about. The cultural view of out in the world is totally different to saying, give everything up. It's saying, hold on to everything and make it mine, isn't it? That's the difference. They're completely two different kind of worldviews. If God is the master, then what word would best describe that part when it comes to finances and possessions? For me, it would be, I'm a steward. In the Greek, that's translated a manager. I'm a manager or an overseer or a supervisor. It's a great responsibility God's given me as a steward of what he's entrusted to me. And he says, as you be faithful with the little, you can be faithful with much more. The steward has only one responsibility, and the Bible talks about us as Christians as stewards. And the only responsibility we have is to be faithful. Master, steward, faithful. We need to be faithful with what we're given. In the parable of the talents, you'll remember there was different slaves. They were given different amounts of talents to oversee and then the master would come back and, and hold them accountable for how they'd faithfully used that and those possessions. And, and he said to the slaves, he said in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful slaves. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. God rewards faithfulness, you see. Whether we're given lots to manage or whether we're given little amounts to manage, to be faithful is what God is looking for in our hearts. To be faithful with every spending decision, to be faithful with every giving decision, to be faithful with every investing decision, to be faithful with every savings decision. Why? Because there's a spiritual connection to this. We are to be faithful with 100% of God's money that he's given us, not just the 10%. Some of you might give to God. It's all God's. It's all God's. So during this series, we're going to focus on how we can be faithful stewards. 
And remember the most important role I play in this is as a faithful steward. Now, I'm going to turn 50 in a few weeks. And you know what that means? That means I've been a Christian for 33 years. And in those 33 years, as I thought about that just this week, I realised I've still got a long way to go in understanding God. I've still got a long way to go in learning about God. I feel like I know nothing, actually. I only know a little bit about God. When I got saved, I was 17 years old. And over those first few years, I learned about Jesus and I learned about the gospel of salvation and I learned about what it meant for having a, a new faith in God. And I remember when I was 23, as I shared some of these more challenging things, I learned about some of these biblical financial principles started challenging me. And I really started to learn how to give God money. I didn't understand it at first. It made me upset. I thought to myself, God, why do you need money? Why do you need my money? And then I realized and thought, that's not what I signed up for. But I realized that my pain in that way was, not, was because I hadn't given it over to God yet. I hadn't surrendered to him. And I realized all of a sudden then who I belong to. I belong to God. And so the Bible says that he purchased me with his precious blood. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I was purchased with the precious blood of Christ. True? And so I'm not my own and everything I have is not my own. I am simply a steward of all that he's entrusted to me. This is a different worldview. This is a different way of thinking. It's a different way of living. I would hope that young people in the room especially could grab a hold of this and live the rest of their lives with this mindset and with this worldview because this, what I'm talking about, is true financial freedom. Financial freedom is not becoming wealthy and the richest that you can be in life. It's, it's having the, the strings cut and saying, God, I'm yours. And there's no strings attached now. Everything I have, everything I am, everything I want, have, and everything I'm, I am and everything I'm not is yours. Everything of who I am is yours, O oh Lord. And so I want to dive into a little passage today as we look at the topic of generosity for a few minutes. And we're going to look at the Macedonian church. There's a little video we'll watch there for a couple of minutes. We'll focus in on generosity. Let's watch this. Thanks. In the New Testament, there was no church that was more generous than the Macedonian church. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5, Paul tells us how their joy overflowed in rich generosity. The encouraging thing for us about this joy was the circumstances it came from. Paul explains that they were in the midst of severe trials and extreme poverty, and it was in these times that God gave them this overflowing joy that resulted in generosity. Trials and suffering couldn't shake these believers because they didn't care about stuff. Their secret was not what belonged to them, but who they belonged to. And every one of us will also face trials and sufferings at some point in our lives. And just like the Macedonians, we must decide who or what we will trust in when they do arise. So let's look at three truths that the Macedonian believers teach us that will help us obtain the same joy and generosity they had in their extreme poverty. First, nothing can shake the joy of the generous. Paul's description of the Macedonian state of affairs should not be taken lightly. 
severe tests of affliction and extreme poverty. These circumstances were more than minor setbacks, yet God gave them the joy to not only make it through, but to give generously in the process. Secondly, generosity flows from a heart of self-sacrifice, not self-preservation. The motivation of giving is not to give in order to get. Instead, just like the Macedonians, it begins with our surrender to God and flows from His joy as we trust in Him. And finally, Biblical giving comes from grace, not the law. Tithe, or 10%, is the biblical starting point for giving. Jesus validated this in Matthew 23, but as the Macedonians showed us, their giving was a direct result of the joy they found in God's grace, not from an obligation to give. These verses model for us the response God is looking for when we look at our financial situation. Paul tells us that the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord, and in the same way we should approach our finances by first affirming or reaffirming our commitment to trust God's promises. And secondly, we are told the Macedonians gave. Their generosity was the proof of where their joy really came from. And in the same way, our giving echoes what our hearts are trusting in. Yes, it's true. Our giving echoes what our hearts are trusting in. I want to read these verses around the Macedonians. Paul was using this as an example to the Corinthians as he was preaching to the Corinthians and he was using the Macedonians as an example of generosity. And I think it's just so encouraging for us to also have a look at this. If we could pop the slides up. It says here, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up with rich generosity. This really makes me think about some of the churches that we support through our missions. Um, I was thinking about Paulson over in India this week as I read that. And he oversees a whole heap of churches. They live in extreme poverty and massive trials that they face constantly. And yet when I visited those churches, they are so generous. They're so happy and giving out of their need. They're not just giving out of their abundance. Sometimes our giving is just out of our abundance. We're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. And I'm speaking to myself right now. Sometimes as soon as there's a trial or a problem, it's like, it's like oh, we, we tighten up and we, won't, we don't get involved or whatever. But there's something about this incredible generous spirit that the Macedonian church they were remembered for. And Paul was using this to help the uh, Corinthian church to learn. In these extreme circumstances that they faced, they still had this incredible, powerful generosity and I just pray that I would be and that we could be a church that would well up with generosity in this way we'll go on in verse um, 3 it said for I testify oh, we'll go back one for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. You see generosity just flowed through their sacrifice and it clearly wasn't with any motive of what they could get out of it or you know, getting something back for it. It was just this heart, this heart of righteousness. And I want to show you what I mean by that. I really see a close connection here between righteousness and generosity the righteousness and the generosity of these believers. Can you see that? In fact, the Hebrew word for righteous 
Righteousness is the word sadak. And it's so close to the word that's used for generosity, which is sadaka. In Hebrew, the word for generous is actually composed of the word righteous. In other words, the righteous are generous. And I believe that every Christian, when we get born again, that there is a love for Christ that's planted within us, the righteousness of Christ that lives within us, that's sadak within. And that results in generosity that comes out of us, the sadaka. It results with the desire to give to God, to give to his people, to give into the world around us. Church, we are righteous people in Christ and we are generous people in Christ. The two just go hand in hand. Can I hear an amen? Righteous people are generous people. In 2 Corinthians verse 9, 6, it goes on. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It's like I need to recalibrate my heart right now and think about that. I need to deal with selfish hearts sometimes. We all have this problem, I think, because we're born selfish. We're born with selfishness within us. It's just a part of who we are as human beings. Selfishness is actually a sin. And here's what God's saying. Don't be selfish. A righteous life is not a selfish life. Have we thought about this? Why did God create giving? He didn't create giving because he needs our money. God doesn't need our money. The Bible says he created everything and owns everything already. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't need our money. God needs what our money represents. God wants what our money represents, which is our, our hearts. It's a test. So why did God create giving? It's not for his benefit. It's for our benefit. God created giving to get selfishness out of our life because our selfishness is a sin. So don't focus on what we're going to get back from giving. And a lot of people do. You hear the televangelist, give and you'll get blessed. Give and you'll get tenfold back. And that's not why you give. That's a, those are wicked thoughts. We don't give to get. That's against what God's saying. Get that out of your life, not get more into your life. Will you be blessed when you give? Yes. Of course you're blessed when you give because you're being generous. You're being godly. You're being righteous. And God does bless us. In fact, the next scripture says in verse 7, And whatever you sow, sow generously, and you will also reap generously. So we do get blessed, but that's not why we give. That's not our motive. Of course you get, give, get blessed as you give, like the Macedonians did. Paul said they exceeded our expectations so generously. Don't just ask what the need is. He's saying give above and beyond that. In verse 7 it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves, I love this verse, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to deal with a reluctant heart sometimes. Can I have an honest opinion on that? Does anyone else deal with a reluctant heart? I do. It's definitely true of me, and I keep coming back to my deed of ownership sometimes. <laughs> because I have to go with what I know is right, not what my heart feels sometimes. 
I'll be honest, I have to think about it. God blesses though. God blesses everything if we could simply have a heart change in this area. From being born selfish to being born generous. Being born selfish, being born again generous. We were all born again generous. I just need to renew my mind in this truth because my mind hasn't caught up with the fact that I was born again generous. When it comes to giving, sometimes I feel that reluctance. I feel it. But I shouldn't. I just need to remember who I belong to, my master, and who I am. I'm a steward of God's stuff. And there's only one responsibility, and that's to be faithful with his stuff. Do you know why I'm reluctant at times when it comes to being generous and giving? Why? Because I forget. Because I think it's mine. But the truth is, it's not mine. I just need to remember my memory verse. Everything in heaven and earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as being in control of all things. Riches and honor come from you alone. And you are the ruler of all mankind. And it's at your discretion. People are made great and given strength. Everything in heaven and earth is yours, O Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. Invite the worship team to come up. Anyone seen the Islanders, when they come to the offering times in a big worship service, they love giving. The offering time comes and there's dancing and there's celebrating and there's singing. I've been in big services with the different Islanders in those times and they're putting money on each other and dancing up the front. And it's incredible celebration. Giving is is actually cheerful for them. And um, I know I do my offerings online every week. And I, when that happens, I, I miss it. I don't even see it. It just happens. And I just think to myself, I'm doing it cheerfully, but I'm missing the joy sometimes of, of the giving, if that makes sense. Um, God loves us to be cheerful around our giving. God's looking at our hearts, and it's not about money at all. It's about the heart behind it. Okay, I hope you feel positively challenged this morning to be born again generous. Some of you might need to recalibrate your heart. Some of you might need to go home and draw up a deed of ownership. If you're going to take your Christian life seriously, that's what you need to do. Sign it all over to God. It's a powerful thing I did 27 years ago. I keep going back to that moment of consecration, that moment of handing it over, that moment of surrender and being filled with his spirit. The moment where I said, God, I'm all yours. And when his spirit came and filled me, And it's changed my life and changed my perspective on everything. It's changed my perspective on money. It's changed my perspective on possessions. And I hope that we could leave here today and have a think about that in our own lives. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, it's a big topic. And it's just the start. We're going to dive into not only generosity, we're going to dive into contentment. We'll talk about that next week. 
and some other great themes around being a steward. And I pray that you will help us grow closer to you. And you draw us into a deeper surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus.